Hi, I'm Caitlin Prest, and I am here in your ear to tell you about a very incredible new show called Asking For It. Asking For It is a darkly comedic series that follows a queer femme singer whose history of violence finds her no matter how many times she runs away. It has an original soundtrack, and it'll make you laugh, cry, and feel a little bit less alone. Asking for it. Subscribe now. This is a CBC Podcast. October 9th, two days after war erupted between Israel and Hamas, was Thanksgiving Monday. And there weren't many of us in the newsroom. But one email out of the hundreds and hundreds that whizzed through caught my eye. The email was from a man in Burnaby, B.C., named Mohammed Fayad. He was desperate. He wrote, As you know, the security situation in Israel-Gaza is getting worse than ever, and my kids are not safe, not safe at all. I worry deeply for their safety and fear I might lose them at any moment, and I might never see them again. I'm Jody Martinson, and this is Storylines. Mohammed's kids are among the 1.9 million people, 85% of the population, who have been displaced in the Gaza Strip since the start of the war, according to the UN. Today, two stories from families who are among that number, people separated by borders and an ocean, Canadians with families still in Gaza that they're determined to get out. I'm going to start with Mohammed. Hi. I'm good. It's nice to see you. It's okay. Mohammed lives in a two-bedroom apartment with a roommate. It's on a tree-lined street partway up the mountain in Burnaby, B.C. His computer hums away right beside where he sleeps at night, if he sleeps at all. You know, even I can see... you have it up right here. So this is from the government, hey? Yeah, just even I see some information. I can't see you here. Watching the news from here. He has stopped going to work at the shawarma food truck. He's focused on only one thing, emailing the government for help to get his kids out of Gaza. You receive emails. Whoa, can I see? Like, do you have, it looks like... Last email I received from Global Affairs, you can see here. The whole thing, your whole inbox is just emails with the government, is it? Yeah, I keep talking to them. This is many emails. That's on the last update from here. Here's this number that they have. like a. It's called consular case for your children. A consular case number. Then you have to mention uh, this reference. So more easy to reach the data of my case. Yeah, so I can, you know, it's also this A decade ago in Gaza, Mohammed worked for the UN in the education and IT departments. He fled Gaza as a refugee bound for Indonesia, but he had to leave his family behind. Years ticked by, and he watched his kids grow up through videos. His ex-wife, the kid's mother, eventually had to flee as well, so the kids came under the care of Mohammed's brother. Then finally, just over a year and a half ago, Canada accepted Mohammed as a refugee. He settled in Burnaby, and now he finds himself in this apartment, parked in front of a computer. When the kid's phone is charged, they video chat. They never smile like before. They always, I can see their face very 
they're very scary and very she look my, my daughter the face she looks oh, like oh uh, look at her face yes, this is her this is from this week when see, yes this Mohammed's is daughter nice. Amar is 14 his son Amir is 12 will be next and we don't know what's going on she just has a most, most worried expression on her face yes, doesn't she yeah, I see that do they send you videos now, or can yeah, they get videos of it? Second, I try to find the video for you. Send to me. My son keeps crying. Please help us. I'm asking Canadian government to help us to take us out from Gaza as soon as possible. We need to go to our dad in Canada when I live with them. Help us to be evacuated from there. Try, you know, they called me, they said, please, can Canada do something for us? And do you think that we are qualified to be evacuated for, like a Canadian or not? Yeah, my, my kids are smart, they understand what's going They're on. Smart, I, yeah. yeah They're they, they just wondering if Canada can help them to be out from there. Yeah. And it's pitch black in that video because it's night and there's no lights yeah, or because the electricity's all out, off, right? Yeah. So, yeah. You know, uh, I just ask him to keep sleep. Uh, just if you want to feel hungry, go to drink something, go to eat. But even there's no water, even that. Yeah. But do you know, do they have food and water right now? They don't have food enough. He says they didn't have enough food. And eating just one time, something like that. Yeah. As a parent, you're doing everything you can here to try to push their case along. Well, I'm trying my best to be uh, out from here. Soon you will hear some news. Just be ready. Uh, keep your passport, keep the document. Keep your certificate because once you come to Canada, you have to show that you pass some grade or level so they can let you to go to school. So they are happy with that. They just they keep their document in the bag because my kids long time didn't go to school also. So they are uh, very excited to go to Canada so they can start their education mm-hmm. and can go to school. Mm-hmm. So you try to give them a little bit of hope give them this advice of yes. getting organized, getting ready. Do you talk about the destruction around them and try to deal with the part of them that's feeling traumatized by it as well? Yeah, when they see this kind of destruction, I tell them, okay, so you have to stay away from that thing. You have to be safe. The kids live in Han Yunus. That's a city in the south that was supposed to be in the safe zone. The kids tell Mohammed the apartment nearby was leveled. Try to avoid this kind of place, but... This happened in front of them, so they even they tried to find some place to correct themselves, but that place maybe can be targeted. So we don't know what's happening next. Uh, we don't know if our home is safe or not. He says they don't know what will happen next. They don't know if their home is safe. Uh, even sometimes they go to the shelter, but shelter have a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know. Okay, can you keep me posted? Uh, to find oh, here's Foreign Affairs. Yes, that's right. Hopefully something good news coming. Hi. It's someone from Global Affairs in Ottawa. Yes. Mohammed tells me he thinks the government is working really hard. He can tell. He just wants everything to move faster so that when or if that border with Egypt opens, his kids can get out. Week one of the war ticks by into week two. Mohammed says his son is a great soccer player, a little Lionel Messi. He has, he has hoped that one day he can be a player and he can yeah, play with Barcelona or any team in Europe. So They tease each other because Mohammed likes Real Madrid and his son likes Barcelona. His daughter is studious and she has big goals. He'll always have the, that um, 
hope she, she, can, she can be a doctor one day. For sure you'll be a doctor here, why not? Yeah. Week three of the war. Mohammed says he's not okay. The little timestamp at the top of his daughter's WhatsApp page has frozen. The kids haven't been online for hours. Mohammed says he feels like a heart attack could happen to him at any moment, that it feels like extreme anxiety, extreme fear. Hello? Hi, it's, it's Jody. Yes, Jody. Yeah, so um, uh, sometimes yeah, because I am thinking over about my kids and I try to manage uh, all the things I have. Like I have too much stress. Um, yeah, I have that fear of my kids that I'm going to lose them at any moment. So I am trying to be okay and to overcome all this uh, difficulty that I'm facing right now. He's struggling. But sometimes he allows himself to imagine meeting his kids at the Vancouver airport. Yeah, yeah, I just, uh, I say, okay, oh my God, if I can't believe that my kids can cross the border. I just, uh, waiting the news and this, we'll see, just, this is like, I'm so excited if they, they can be able to cross. I will be so happy, I will be so glad. But uh, at the same time, I have that fear. There's a lot of challenge. There, there will be like thousands of people who are trying to escape and get out from Gaza. Days go by. The estimates now are that thousands of children are dead. The border between Gaza and Egypt opens, but no Canadians get out. Then the border closes up again. Mohammed texts a selfie of his daughter smiling and says that was from before, when there was a possibility they'd make it through the Rafah gate. And that's when my phone chimes. Hello? Mohammed has good news. Yes, Judy, how are you? I'm so good. How are you? Um, very good. Thank you. What happened? Uh, I received a call two hours ago from uh, the, my, uh, uh, my brother's wife. And, yeah, she was in contact uh, with uh, my brother in the, the Egyptian fight. She called him and he, he said that we, he already uh, crossed it into the Egyptian side. The kids are out. They're on the Egyptian side, stamps on documents, and they're waiting for a bus hired by Canada to take them to Cairo. Egyptian uh, border uh, crossing. I, I, I can't imagine, I can't explain to you how 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 my feel. I feel like I can't believe, but then I, I realized that happened and I'm very, very happy and no word to describe. So I, yeah, I cry. <laughs> <laughs> I cry, I, it's a cry, but this cry is not uh, totally different because it's mixed with the happiness. I'm very, very happy and very glad that my kids already make it. And and so then, Mohammed, what happens? They You said it'll take some hours to get to Cairo, and then do they get on an airplane right away, or what happens? I think they have like 72 hours maximum. Wow. Because I, uh, I wait for the global affairs to call me, then I will go to book for them the ticket uh, from here. Yeah. Meanwhile, the kids are in Cairo, waiting to be processed by the Canadian government. They're with their uncle in a hotel. That's where they meet a CBC reporter. Can you spell your name for me, Ed? 
Mohammed's daughter, Amar, smiles at the camera. Can he tell me a little bit about what his life in, in Gaza was like? His son, Amir, talks about life before the war being beautiful. He reminisces about playing with other kids, school, homework, and of course soccer. Amir talks a bit about the war. How he learned about the loss of life, the loss of family. Bad things, he repeats, bad things. Amir is excited to be going to Canada. But he's worried too about meeting new people and not speaking English. But he's happy he'll finally see his dad. That day has finally arrived. There's no any formation. There's no any delays. It's still there. Mohammed is in the international arrivals area of the Vancouver airport, looking up at the screen that tracks planes coming in. That on the air. Yeah, still in the air too. He's following the progress of the flight from Frankfurt. I'm just waiting for now to get permission to landing, right? He passes the time by showing off pictures and videos that the kids have sent along the way. Those are real smiles, hey? Yeah, they're happy because it's the first time, you know using the airplane, yeah. He's smiling and seems relaxed, but the hand holding the Tim Hortons double-double is trembling a little. Oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like my heart can be stopped. Oh my God. Is your heart beating yeah, fast? Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know when I, I'm going to meet them. I, I don't know what I will... What, it's something like... I can't explain, I can't you know, describe to you, but it's really emotional, moving and... Yeah, so no word to describe how feel I, I have right now. But, yeah, it was dreaming, and now these dreams come true. Oh, my daughter, ah, come up. Finally, a call. She could, ah, my Sarah. It's his brother who's traveling with the kids. They've landed and are waiting for the bags. Then the process of customs and immigration. Yeah, they're good, yeah. Finally, now they rush in Vancouver, yeah. Mohammed sits down. This could take a while. His foot is constantly bouncing. And what else? Yeah, I have like uh, 10 different places in the list. And I will choose which one will be the first. He talks yeah, about the plans he's made. He's booked off work for 10 days to spend time with them. He even has the first stop after the airport planned out. Some food for them. I will, I will take him to McDonald's. Uh, they like some fresh chicken, something like that. Or, and then, yeah. After that, we take him to home because they are very tired, so they should go and take rest. Sleep in their new IKEA beds. Uh, yeah, yeah. I will t- <laughs> Every time he sees a girl with long, dark hair, just like his daughter, emerging from the sliding doors, he looks up hopefully. All false alarms. Guys, uh, I, uh, this is for the one who with them, and they say they take, they take time. This is the updates keep coming. And we don't know, maybe one hour. So I just yeah. wanted you take one hour. Another hour goes by, then another call. This time, it's Canadian Border Services Agency. Mohammed jumps up and without a word, disappears behind a locked door. The long-awaited reunion is in private. This is my son, my daughter. 
Yeah, thank you so much for everything. And Hello. finally we meet after 10 years. When they do emerge, he has an arm around each of his kids. I'm very happy because they, they meet their dad and I'm so grateful for Global Air Fest. They did their best to bring my kids safe to Canada. I'm very grateful for their help and support. Okay, guys. They're wearing jackets with fur-lined hoods and carrying backpacks. <laughs> what was it like to see your dad? What was it like to see your dad? Did you hug? They smile shyly as reporters pepper them with questions they don't understand. Okay, guys. Um, my feel is not, you know, I, I can't imagine how, how my feel. I feel like emotional and I'm so, so happy and no word to describe how is my feeling right now. Um, finally, I meet my kids after 10 years. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. It's clear Mohammed is done talking with anyone but his kids today. Yeah, so, sorry, guys. I have to go because... All right. He keeps them by his side and they head for their new home. Bye-bye. About a month passes. The kids have started school. Amir has landed himself into grade seven. Kamar has found herself dropped into grade nine. And they're having another really common Canadian experience, which is starting into a new public school without speaking much English. I meet them at their apartment and we head out to play soccer in the parking lot. Amir is wearing his brand new school hoodie, class of 2024. As we pass a neon green ball around, I try to tell them about another Burnaby resident, Christine Sinclair, the top goal scorer in international soccer. Okay, so listen, look, Christine Sinclair, Canada, 190 goals. Oh, but still, it's goal, Ronaldo, 11 goal. You see, in Canada, Ronaldo, he have 1,000 scores. For everything, for her, she is like 300, but for Ronaldo, like 1,000 and more. Okay. Okay. You you win, but I just I want you to know that now you live in a town with a really big footballer. When I leave, I tell Amir and his sister I'm really glad they're here, but what I'm really trying to say is I'm glad they're alive. It seems wonderfully typical to overhear them bugging their dad about little things like school permission slips to go ice skating and soccer league registration. But as I leave this family alone to get dinner on and reset for another school day tomorrow, I'm sure there are lots of big worries these little kids carry too. That doc was produced by me, Jody Martinson. It was story edited and mixed by Julia Poggle with Liz Hoth. Special thanks to Yvette Brend and Tom Perry. While Mohammed was able to get Amir and Kamar to Canada, there are hundreds of Canadians with families still in Gaza, people who are still trying to get out. I'm going to hand things over to AC Rowe, but first, we need to take a quick break. Storylines will be right back. From CBC Podcasts and The Fifth Estate, Brainwashed is a multi-part investigation into the CIA's experiments in mind control. From the Cold War and MKUltra to the so-called War on Terror, we learn about a psychiatrist who used his patients as human guinea pigs and what happens when the military and medicine collide. Listen to Brainwashed on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's December 5th. 
days since Isra al-Safin last heard from her family in Gaza. I did not hear from them until this morning at 3 a.m. They had a chance to send me a text and another voice note urging me to get them out of there. Isra lives in Ottawa with her husband and two young sons. But her parents, siblings, in-laws, and 10-month-old nephew are trapped in the Gaza Strip. Her sister, Arwa, sends her voice memos, begging for help. They are trying to find a way to cross the borders, and someone asked them for $10,000 USD to do that arrangement for them. Smugglers. I can't tell her, like, don't try it because I'm not in their shoes. And um, she was telling me that they can't access the banking account right now, and if I can, send them money. And then she started panicking and crying while talking in the voice note. There was a sound of explosions around her. It's really bad. It's really, really bad. Please get us out of here. According to Global Affairs Canada, the only people eligible for emergency evacuation are spouses, common-law partners, or children under 22 of Canadian citizens or permanent residents. Isra is a Canadian citizen, but her relatives aren't. The same day that Isra got that voice memo from her sister, Immigration Minister Mark Miller spoke to reporters. We have tried our utmost. Whenever there's a configuration of, of a family unit that doesn't fall within our, our current definitions to be as flexible as possible and to try and pe- get people out. There do remain people in Gaza, so those that is the focus of our efforts. What does that mean, being as flexible as possible? Uh, being as flexible as possible, meaning looking at what family, what, what people in Gaza have family connections to Canada. Obviously, the priority is, uh, is Canadian citizens, permanent residents. That has been a challenge. It remains a challenge and remains the focus of the government. I have contacted the SOS and I asked them to get my family out of there. And we got the same template answer. Your family is not under the defined category of immediate family. It's not helping because my father is an immediate family. My siblings are an immediate family. My mother is an immediate family. My nephew who lost his dad, he's a baby, he's 10 months old. And living this situation is an immediate family. So what do you define as immediate family? Canada has previously made exceptions to its immigration policy while taking in refugees fleeing the war in Syria or the invasion of Ukraine. In the latter case, Canada has allowed Ukrainians with family members in Canada including parents, children, grandparents, and siblings, to apply for permanent residency. I actually helped the government here when they bring the Syrian refugees and they wanted the people speak Arabic and English. I was the first one there to volunteer. I volunteered my time. I volunteered the translating. I volunteered going to appointments with people coming to the country. Why? Because I believe that this country is the country to help people. I am the first person with the fact that, yes, we should evacuate people from Ukraine. We should help Ukrainian people. But it's really 
hurt me deeply when I'm now in the same positions. Some of them now telling me that I should not ask this and you and your family are a bunch of terrorists and we don't want Gaza, Gaza people to come to Canada because they're dangerous. Isra's husband moved to Canada in 2000 when he was still a teenager. He's now an engineer. They got married and she came in 2012. She works as a public servant. Their two sons were born here, go to school here. I'm raising my kids to be the perfect Canadian for this country. And if you are scared that you want to do some checkups on people coming here, yes, I know, I understand. All I want is get my family and other families, give them the chance to leave that area, sit in Egypt, do whatever checkups you want on them, and then bring them here. For now, Isra's family have found shelter, if not safety. They're in Rafa, the last stop before the border with Egypt. Where they're staying? In a storage room. I think it's a factory. I'm not sure what it is. They have 50 other families with them in the same room. There's no clean water. There's no enough food. And yet I have to wait patiently here, counting the second by second, and wondering what they're doing now. Are they safe? It's, is the bombing happening right now around them? How are they going to survive? Where should they go? Ten days later, December 15th, over the phone, Isra checks in. Her sister has stopped sending voice memos. The internet connection isn't strong enough. Instead, she sends scattered texts. So the last thing, she's like, please pray for this to stop. We heard that stuff happening in Canada. My beautiful sister, is this true? Can you tell me if there's any more uh, news from Canada? She's crying. The situation is not good. We don't have water. She's telling me that one of our cousins has died, killed. And then the last message, she's like, we are fine. We are living. That's it. She thinks back on the last time she saw her family. It was um, the most beautiful thing we have decided to do. I did not see them uh, for seven years before that. So for me, it was a big deal. For my kids, it was a big deal because it was the first time for them to actually see the place I grew up in. And it was amazing. And I was surprised with how beautiful the city came the beach, the malls, the playground. But I realize now how everything can go in seconds. And it's hurting me and hurting them a lot. And um, the fact that my kids actually got to know my parents and my siblings more, it's, um, they are dreaming every day to have them here. That story was produced by me. It was based on an interview produced by Sarah Jackson and hosted by Neil Cooksall for CBC's As It Happens. Special thanks to Sheena Goodyear. 
That's all for Storylines this week. The show is part of the CBC Audio Doc Unit. I'm Macy Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.